0: All right, if you lived in Stamford, Connecticut, you would have a problem. The problem is a foul problem. F-O-W-L. They got a turkey problem in Stamford, Connecticut. These turkeys have descended on the city. (laughs) No, really, you can't make this stuff up, all right? (laughs) They're used to being fed by the people. And when they don't receive their breadcrumbs and their leftovers, guess what these turkeys do? They attack the people. (laughs) The mail carriers cannot deliver the mail. The joggers can no longer jog without being molested by these birds. (laughs) And it's such a problem that the city has made a statement. They've issued a statement. This is on uh, the local television up there. I heard it. (laughs) this week on podcast and the city literally tells the people here's what you do if a wild turkey comes at you (laughs) you wave your hands in the air you shout real loud and you run to the turkey that's what you do and when you do that you will frighten the turkey and he will leave you alone now, just for a moment, can y'all, man, just picture in your mind's eye in Stamford, Connecticut, the, a bunch of New Englanders running around the street shouting and, and waving their hands at, at turkeys. You know, sometimes you, you just have to do the bizarre. You have to get out of the box. You got to do the extraordinary if you want to see the results. And, and I'm telling you, I'm going to read you a text today that's going to sound like Stamford, Connecticut, And People waving their arms and shouting at turkeys because it is very bizarre when I read Nehemiah chapter 13 to you today And by the way, we are wrapping up our our study in this great Old Testament book And if you're a first-time guest today, we began around January And we're just now finishing up in September and we've gone almost every verse through Nehemiah and it's a great book It's a book on leadership. Really. It's a book on how to cast vision and rally your troops and encourage them can encourage them and it's also brother Stu it's a great book on how to deal with obstacles and opposition because you're going to have it right as a pastor and especially as you launch out and to do this great work that God is calling you to do and your team of 30 uh, three other people with you it's going to be awesome it's going to be fantastic but we're not naive we know that something like this that gets heaven's attention will also get the enemy's attention, and so you're going to have to deal with opposition. But it's also a book about celebration. So let me, let me set the scene for you just briefly before I read the wild turkey story, okay? So in 444 B.C., Nehemiah is dutifully employed by the king of the Medes and the Persians, a man by the name of Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes says... Yes, I will give you permission to leave my place, my palace. And I want you to go and do what you believe God has put on your heart to do, to go and rally the Jews, rally the Israeli people, and rebuild the wall around the perimeter of Jerusalem. And so he does. In 444 B.C., he goes, and chapter 1, we've read that, we've studied that, and they began in chapter uh, 4, they completed the wall in 52 remarkable days, and then they had times of revival and times of celebration, times of opposition. But now, Nehemiah told the king, he said, Give me my leave of absence, and I promise you I will come back, and I will serve you. So fast forward to 432 B.C., 12 years later, we come to Nehemiah 13 and Nehemiah says, uh, people, I've, I've got to leave. I, I've got to go on this mission and I've got to be faithful to my word. <clears throat> and so he did. And while he was gone, while Nehemiah was away, the children of Israel did indeed play. They, it's just like they bumped their heads on a rock and forgot everything that Nehemiah taught them. And that's just, that's just the vacuum that happens when there's no spiritual godly leader. You know that Bible, Bible verse that says, where there's no vision, the people perish? Let me give you a better translation of that. Where there is no prophetic word from God, the people just go abandoned. They just, they just go away from God. So Nehemiah's away, and I'm going to read what happens to you in, in Nehemiah chapter 13. One writer calls it this. He says in Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah, he just kind of grabs the situation by the throat. Reminds me of uh, Ludwig von Beethoven. Uh, Just last April, Ashley and I and our team, we had an opportunity to go in Luther's land there in Wittenberg, but we also went over to Bonn, and in Bonn is where Beethoven was born. In fact, I took a picture of it. There's the door. You enter into this door. It's a beautiful museum, very highly preserved place that you can go, and you can see where he was born. i got a couple other pictures there. That's the city of Bonn. And one more picture. You'll see Ashley and I up there on those steps. Beautiful city there in Germany. This is where Beethoven was, was born. He studied under Joseph Haydn. He studied under Wolfgang, Amadeus, Mozart. Beethoven, five years of age, was playing the violin in an amazing way. And when he was um, like 13 years of age, he was doing these remarkable things uh, in orchestration and developing the music. And when he's in his 20s, he creates these piano concertos, and he also begins to write these amazing uh, symphonies, and then he begins to notice something is not right. He begins to lose his hearing. Can you imagine having that kind of gift, that being that prodigy of, of music and He he notices that he can't hear. And by the time he's 50, he's completely deaf. And Beethoven, though, had enjoyed all these remarkable accomplishments and feats in the realm of music. He got so frustrated one day that he literally took his fingers and he just slammed them down on the piano before him. Of course, he, he can't hear. And he said these words, I will take life by the throat. That's what he said. He, he was so upset that he you know he's just struggling with his hearing and, and he just pounds his hands on the piano key. That's what Nehemiah does. He comes back and when he sees things aren't the way they ought to be, I mean he, he gets after the people. And I want to read it to you. It's a great text and we'll kind of walk through it, make application for it, and then toward the end uh, we're going to bring this group up and pray over them and send send them out. All right, so here we go. Nehemiah chapter 13. In the first few verses, it tells of some good things that are going on. In verses 1 through 3, it says that they put away from them the people of Moab and the Ammonites because the Moabites were not kind to Israel when she was passing through. In fact, the Moabites, they pronounced a curse on Israel. And so there's this There's this bad blood between Israel and the Moabites, and and it still exists at this time in Nehemiah. And so what they did is they they began to separate themselves from those who were their enemies, and that starts off pretty good, verses 1 through 3. But then it gets really, really interesting. So let's read it, all right? I'm going to read verses 4 through uh, 9. Now, before this, before this, antecedent this is verses 1 through 3. Before they did their good deeds... These kind of things happen. Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Oh, remember him. It was Tobiah. He was one of that triumvirate. He was one of the trilogy of those who hated Nehemiah. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Those were the three arch enemies of Nehemiah. In fact, I remember in just just reading over the book of Nehemiah, he laughed at Nehemiah, he mocked him, he sent letters to threaten him, and now when Nehemiah goes away back to the king, guess who resurfaces? It's his archenemy, Tobiah. And look what happens. He had prepared for him, Eliashib prepared for Tobiah, a large room in the temple where they previously had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine, and the oil which were commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. But during all of this, I was not there. Okay, you with me? You got the historical context? Nehemiah said, When all of this went down, it didn't happen on my watch. Things just fell apart. As I am in Persia, I'm in Babylon. The people just, you know, they, they begin to compromise, and they begin to do things that were not honoring to God. And if you were with us in Nehemiah chapter 10, what you'll notice is I walk through Nehemiah chapter 13, it's like they disobeyed God almost on every place they promised that they would obey God. But during all this time, he says, I wasn't there. For in the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, that's 432 BC, I, uh, the king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days... I obtained leave from the king. Now, how many days was that? We don't know. Some people believe it was a year. Some people believe it was two years. But in, the, in those, that span of time, he said, I came to Jerusalem, and I discovered the... Now, notice the way Nehemiah calls it. You know, good leaders call it what it is, all right? He said this was evil that Eliashib the priest had done for Tobiah, if I could just say my arch enemy in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly, therefore, here, here it is, wave your hands in the air like you just don't care, run at the turkey, here's what he does. All, I threw out all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And then I commanded them, you guys need to cleanse the rooms. And I brought back into them the, uh, the articles of the house of God with the grain offering, and with the frankincense. If you're taking notes, what I want to share with you briefly today, number one is real leaders show up. Okay, They come. Uh, They they, they visit. They appear. And Nehemiah, though he's gone, he hadn't forgotten about his people, he's dutifully employed by Artaxerxes again, and then he wraps that up and he runs back to Jerusalem. Now, it's going to take him about four months, but he gets there. And when he gets there, he noticed that things are just not the same as when he had left them. Have you ever heard this statement that 80% of success is showing up? Think about that. I, I, I've often quoted that, and, and I've often thought about that. And, and for you students and some of you young professionals that are just getting started in your careers, can I encourage you with this, that the days you don't feel like going to work, just show up. Parents, the days you don't feel like disciplining your children and doing the right thing, show up. Those of you that have a job and you're like, oh, they're all excited about this job, just show up. 80% of success is just showing up. It's amazing what will happen if you are physically present to do your job. Number two, real leaders do hard things. Number one, real leaders show up. Number two, the real leaders, they do the hard things. And the first hard thing that we see our man, Nehemiah, doing is he's throwing out furniture. Can you imagine? I mean, he's going in, and he's taking all of Tobiah's furniture, and he is physically, he's picking up the furniture, and he's heaving it out of the temple going, Man, that don't belong here. The frankincense, the offerings, and the grain, and all those things belong here in the tithe storerooms. And so, Tobiah, I'm just kicking you out. And he did I mean, literally, he just, if you will, he just kind of pounds his fist on the table and he says, I'm gonna take this by the throat. You know what he reminds me of? Reminds me of Jesus. Anybody? There are three cleansing the temples in the Bible: two of them in the old, one of them in the new. Hezekiah in Chronicles. And here uh, is the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. It says in 12 and 13, Jesus went into the temple of God and he drove out all of those who bought and sold in the temple. Jesus rearranged some furniture. Can you imagine the fire in his eyes as he came in and he, Jesus, right? He takes the tables, I Are mean, 30, 30 years of age. He's a strong man. He's a carpenter. I mean, he takes these these tables and he just throws them up in the air. And man, there it goes. Those who sold the doves, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Man, real leaders show up and they take extreme measures when extreme measures call for to be taken. And Nehemiah did. I mean, so much for this passive, laissez-faire, oh, I'm not going to worry about it, like a lot of guys in America today. A lot of guys in America, man, y'all, y'all, need, to, y'all need to strap on some, I mean, some, some boots, man, and put on some britches and get ready to work. I mean, praise God, our world is going to hell in a handbasket, and a lot of the men in America, we're just sitting down, or many of them are hooked on uh, all these kinds of things, and we're just saying, well, I'll just kind of let somebody else take care of it. Man, you got to rise up. You got to stand up and say, Man, I'm here and, and I love God and I love my family, and anything that's going to threaten that, then I'm going to stand up and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to make a difference. And that's what he does. And he's a real man's man, this Nehemiah is. I like, I like this. I can't wait to get to heaven and see these things on big, gigantic DVDs, you know? I mean, has, I mean Nehemiah is like, throwing out the temple, Hezekiah is cleansing the temple, and there our Lord is. He's going, man, you guys have got it all backwards. My house should be called a house of prayer, and you're worried about making money, and you're worried about, you know, having your own agenda. And so first thing he does is he throws out the furniture. Number two, he feeds the preachers. He feeds the preachers. I especially like this part because I'm a preacher. And I like to eat. And so I get my, my money, my income comes from your offerings. When you make an offering to the Lord, it goes to the budget of the church, and I have a salary, and all of our pastors and directors and admins and all of our people, we, we receive our livelihood from what you give. Now, if, there is a pro, if this process is truncated or if you stop giving, or if you give and the monies are not properly given to where they belong, then I will go without a paycheck, which means you go without eating. You say, well, wow, that's pretty extreme. Did that really happen in Nehemiah's day? It did. Let me read it to you. (laughs) I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. How about that? Brother Danny got a secular job. He had to give up the ministry. Because people quit giving or the people who were in charge didn't allocate the monies properly. And so the Levites put in their letter of resignation and say, I can't do the work in the temple uh, because things are kind of messed up. And so they went, went back and got got a regular job and I'm not opposed to getting a, reg- a, a regular job job like that but if God has called me here and God called the Levites there then God has a system God has a way that he wants it done and Nehemiah said, he comes back and goes well, where are the preachers? where are the Levites? Where are they? Where are they? why aren't they doing the Levite thing and why aren't they doing the priest thing why aren't they teaching the Word of God and so I contended with them and I said why is the house of God forsaken and I gathered them together and I set them in their place. hoo, check that out. I wonder what that looked like. I set them in their place. Some of you are looking at me like, is that really in the Bible? I, just, I thought the Bible was some old, dusty, boring book. I didn't know it had stuff like that. I think I'll read some more. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And then Nehemiah does a good thing, Stu. I love this. He, he appoints his guys you got to have your guys. you got to have guys you trust. you got to have the Shelemiahs, the priests, the Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah, And the next to them was Hanan, the son of Zachar, the son of Mattaniah. And, and Stu, you know why Nehemiah chose them? Because they were faithful men. They were faithful to their task to distribute to their brethren. Did y'all catch that? To distribute to the brethren. They had to get the tithes, the offering, the grain, give it to the preachers so they could eat and do the work of the ministry there. They didn't have to go out and get a secular job. And Nehemiah, I love this. He does this three times. Three times. You know, doing the Lord's work is an amazing thing, but but doing the Lord's work is is often a very taxing thing. I mean, it it, it can drain you. It can drain you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, financially. It, It can drain you of everything that is within you. And so Nehemiah just goes, Lord... This is about to kill me, but would you just remember me? Would you help me? Don't y'all love that transparency? Don't, don't y'all love that Nehemiah's going, Remember me, O God, concerning this? And, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. So first of all, he's throwing out furniture. Secondly, he's making sure the people are, are being fed. He shows up. He's, in, he's checking things out. And I, I love this quote by John Maxwell. He says, it's, it's not what you expect that gets done, it's what you inspect that gets done. And by the way, that's a great maxim. That's a great, um, a great word for you that are in leadership. Those of you guys that own your own business, or you guys that are principals and assistant principals, and I know y'all are out there. I mean, you've got CEOs, you've got business owners, we've got supervisors and managers all over our church. There's a big cross right there. I can't see all of you, but that, a lot of you do that. You run your own, your own business. and. How many of y'all do that? You're a supervisor, you run your own business, you, you, you lead out, okay, all over the sanctuary. Take, take this to heart. Oh, they'll be all right. I don't, I don't really need to show up, I don't really need to check them out because everybody just is true to their word and they'll just do exactly what they're supposed to do. <laughs> that ain't the way it goes. You, as the leader, show up and say, How's it going? You know, it's not what you expect from people, it's what you inspect. And so here comes Nehemiah, and he is inspecting, and what he's finding is some bad fruit, all right? And he got, we got to get the fruit right. We got, we, we got to make some changes here. And so this is what he does. He throws out furniture, and he feeds the preachers, and next he lets fish rot. That's what he does. He lets good fish rot. He said, where in the world do you get that? Look at verses 15 through 22. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. what's wrong with that, Great Hills? What did they promise in Nehemiah chapter 10 they would not do? They said, we will not work on the Sabbath day. We will honor the Sabbath. And if people bring their goods and wares, we will say closed for business. The sun goes down on Friday the 6th p.m. until Saturday, 6 p.m., we are not open for business. Let's back it up one verse. Let me me finish reading that. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in the sheaves, and loaded donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. (laughs) Nehemiah said, and I warned them, I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions men of Tyre. Now, when you look at Tyre on the Mount, Tyre and Sidon, they're they're right on the coast. I mean, they have some fish. They bring in some big old fish, and they export those fish, and they bring them all the way down into Jerusalem. And they brought their fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath day to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah said, well, that's really okay. I mean, God didn't really mean that about all the Sabbath holy stuff. It's not a big deal. Y'all just come on in. Hey, if he had done that, we wouldn't be reading about him today. You know, history doesn't record the dealings of weak and passive men and women. We remember the stories of those who were bold, who stand up and say, you know, I, I, I work over here at Freescale. You know, I'm, I'm over here at Apple, or I'm, I'm over here at IBM, and I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, hey, could, could, you not, could you not say that? I mean, would you, would you mind just, just not using that kind of language in, in my presence? I mean, I'm not trying to be some holier-than-thou kind of person, but I just want you to know, when you say GD like that, it just just hurts. And, and so I'm just going to ask you, could, could, would you not do that? God bless you! That's awesome! You got some moxie! You got some grit about you. I had to do that. I was playing golf one time, and this, this guy, whoo, taking that club back, whoo, whoo, and he had blankety blankety blank. And I was like, oh, man. And, and he did that for a few holes, and my heart starts beating hard. and I'm going, I got to say something. And so I went up to him, and I said, Sir, um, <laughs> that's the way it goes with me. You know, I was like, you know, I, I'm not. First of all, I appreciate you. I appreciate your military service. But I'm just going to ask you, if you if you would, would you please refrain from the F bombs and the GD, especially the GD, because you're just talking about the Lord. He goes, I sure will. Appreciate you bringing that up. I'm like, thank you, Lord. You know. So what what are you what are you going to do about this? How how are you going to stand up in your office or in your neighborhood? And just say, hey, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be some— You know, a lot of times it's not so much in what you do. It's how you do it, you know. If you come raging at them with you, pointing your finger and putting up your dukes to box them, you know. And i just just say, hey, i am just asking you not, not to do that. Or have you considered maybe saying, golly, Moses, instead of G.D. And then I contended with them. And I said to them, what evil thing is this that you do? "...by which you profane the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do this? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us, on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath." It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall honor the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, here comes the fish thinking. "...as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut." and I charged that they must not open those gates till after the Sabbath. And then I posted some of my servants at the gates that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice, and I warned them, why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Ooh, son. I mean, Nehemiah. Y'all keep sleeping out here, I'm gonna come personally lay hands on you and get you out of here. From that day on, they came no more to this <laughs> habit. They said, okay, we're this crazy guy, man. Is, he's I mean, listen, desperate times call for desperate measures. And, you know, I was listening to a commercial the other day about the Marines. Any Marines in here, David? I like you guys. <laughs> hey, man, I, I like you guys. The few, the proud. The few, the proud, the Marines. And the commercial goes something like, are you the kind of person that just can't um, stand by and let somebody be hurt or bullied? Are you the kind of person that when you see something really wrong, you need to, you need to step in? My wife and I were watching that crazy show the other day. What would you do? And they do the filming, and they create this situation. I just get so tickled watching that. Y'all I laugh so hard because these good people, they're they're. They're listening to people, and they're going, you can tell, man, Their hearts just people, and they want to say something. And some of them do. They just step up and say, that's not right. You need to quit bullying her. That's what we were watching the other night. It was a bully. And these kids were bullying this other kid. And these people stood up and said, you don't need to do that. I mean, she can't help that that's the way she is. So you, you, need to, you need to back off. And I, I appreciated that. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates. To sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O God. Here it is a second time. Concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. The following prayer is prayed every Sunday at, at West Point. The prayer goes like this. It's called the cadet's prayer. Make us choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. And never be contented with half truth when the whole truth can be won. Endow us with courage that is born of loyalty to all that is noble and worthy, that scorns to compromise with vice and injustice, and knows no fear when right and truth are in jeopardy. So help me God. Isn't that good? Can I paraphrase it for you? When wrong is winning and nobody will take a stand, in Jesus' name, rise to your feet. And say, hey, I, I disagree with this. Hey, have you considered this? Hey, we, we, we're, we're going down the wrong road here. Let's, let's stop this. Okay, the next one. Pull it on the screen. Look at what that says. No, I'm serious. He was, he was getting, he grabbing people by the hair of the head. Now, let, let me go ahead and tell you something. Make sure God is really telling you to do that, all right? <laughs> Please really make sure, because <laughs> he's, he's going to do it. Here it comes. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. I told y'all not to do that. God told y'all not to do that. It's not a racist thing, it's just that the light, you, the believers are not to be married to unbelievers. They worship Kemosh, they worship Baal. They worship all these gods and goddesses. You worship the one true God. When y'all get married, your kids are going to be spiritually schizophrenic. They're not going to know who to worship. But I guarantee you there will be a great temptation. If y'all get married and you have kids, they're going going to lean toward idolatry. And they're they're going to say, well, mom's good with it. I'm good with it. Dad's good with it. I'm good with it. And so don't do that. Be careful about who you marry, spend the rest of your life with, because you're going to have children, and you want those children to worship the one true God. And so he said, and half their children, they spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah. They they couldn't speak it because according to the language of one of the other people, that's what they spoke. So I contended with them, cursed them, struck them, and pulled out their hair. My word, what in the world? I contended with them, and I cursed them. Now, you got to understand the word curse here means to disapprove and rebuke. It's not to use profanity. Some of you are going, oh, I was going to let a few fly and say, Nehemiah did. I can do that. No. Nehemiah didn't do that. He, he, when he says cursed, he, he's disapproving them and he's rebuking them going, stop. So he popped some of them upside the head, pulled out their hair and said, you swear to God right now and you say with me, you will not You will not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Now, watch this. Nehemiah uses a biblical illustration to make his point. The greatest king, one of the greatest kings ever, surely the wisest king, he wasn't so wise with women. Instead of having one woman for one life, he had hundreds of women and then hundreds more that he had inappropriate relationships with. And you know what that did for him, don't you, Israel? Solomon, the king of Israel, didn't he sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. I mean, just, just, just let that settle for a moment. Be careful who you marry. <laughs> If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not need to marry a Hindu. You just don't. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not need to marry a, po- a person who practices the Muslim faith. You say, well, wh- 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 why? Because you're going to have trouble. Am I going to go to the mosque or am I going to go to the church? Well, we'll just compromise. It, n- it never works. It never works. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil? Now, by the way, we get this from the Bible, all right? And Nehemiah calls it great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women. And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, he did this. He married Sambalat's daughter, the Horonite. And so here's what I did with him. I just drove him out of the place. I drove him from me. And then Nehemiah, bless his soul. He's like, God, please help me. This is wearing me out. Remember them, O God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites, and thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assigned the duties to the priest and the Levites, each to his service, and to bring in the wood, offering, and the first fruits and appointed times. God, I did all of that. Now please, God. Oh God, remember me for good. Wow, what a text. What a fascinating passage of Scripture. As I look back over these 13 chapters, there is a word that comes to my mind, and I'm going to just speak a a word to you, Stu. I I believe this this will be a word for you, a word from the Lord. I really do. And I could use a lot of words to describe Nehemiah. I could use a lot of words to describe Stuart. I think about the word leadership, consistency, revival, boldness, courage, but that, that ain't the word. The one word that I think of when I think of Nehemiah, and, and really, Stu, I, I think it's the word, and I believe Pastor Chester would, would, would heartily agree with what I'm about to say, that the word that best... It defines Nehemiah and what would best define you and me, and it is the word persevere. Perseverance. No quitting. No stopping. You start out with 34, and on a big Sunday, you have 20 show up. Because Alan Nichols is playing golf, and Doug's over there, you know, sleeping in. Blood. No, I'm, just I'm just kidding. You got 20 people in church, and so what is the deal? Preach to those 20 like they were 2,000. I heard this guy say something this week, Stu, and it was Jim Cimbala. Y'all know him? Pastors a little mission work up in New York City. He said, don't don't be so worried about who's there and the numbers. Just make sure God's there. (laughs) Make make sure God, God comes. And if God comes... It's gonna be good, and it's gonna be it's gonna be really good. So, and by the way, I do want to be sensitive to those that just came in today, and you're like, "Well, I'm just checking the church out." And what? Tell me, tell me, what are y'all doing again? I hadn't been here no forty days. I'm new to Austin. What? What are? What is all this stuff going on up here? So, over the last few days, we have had people come to the sanctuary, and we've had we write our sins in the sand, and then. This is real sand here. And then we write them out. I filled this whole thing up, y'all. I did. Oh, anger, bad attitude, bitterness. Alabama football keeps winning. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no. I'm not making trite. I wrote all these things, and I just went like this and wiped them clean, said, Thank you, Jesus. My sins are forgiven. Went over there to the cross, wrote something out. Thank you, Lord came back over here, rode on the the steeple, read the Word, had the Lord's Supper. That's what we did for 40 days, guys. And so if you're a guest, this is what we did. And what we're doing today, we're culminating all this. It all just kind of comes to a pinnacle moment. In a moment, we're going to have these guys who are leaving our church to go plant a church up in the Leander, Cedar Park area. That's where they'll start. They migrate. They may migrate even further north. Who knows? Maybe up in Liberty Hill. And they tell me that 183, what it looks like up in Liberty Hill, it used to look the same way right here at Breaker. had a bunch of red lights. Man, is that really going to happen? Is, is the greater Austin area is going to continue to grow? We're already at 2 million, and it's even going to grow more. I've heard, I've heard speculations, I want to say, doubling. And so we are, are, are a healthy church. We're not a perfect church, and, and, and we, need, we need to step out and... and a lot of people look to Great Hills Baptist Church, and Pastor Chester knows this. A lot of our brothers and sisters in the state of Texas and even in the convention look and say, man, if y'all do that, then I, we're encouraged. Maybe, maybe we can do that. So that's what we're doing. And so, um, but I have to say this before we commission these guys and encourage these guys. If you're here today and, and you just say, you know, I, I lack that fortitude. I lack That courage. I say at times I want to stand up, and at times I just it's the furthest thing from my mind. Can I can I just pray for you? I want to pray for you and pray for me. That God would give us all courage. If you're here today and you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, that's the first thing you gotta do. You gotta have the Spirit of God come into your heart. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and wipe those sins away, Jesus, take away these barriers that's blocking my fellowship with you. And when Jesus takes that and reunites you to God the Father, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, man, there comes a holy boldness and courage. So it could be that you just need to give your life to the Lord, or it could be, like me, you want to do the right thing, but but sometimes you're passive and you're quiet, and you say, I want to do the right thing, and I want to start in my home, and I want to start with my kids. And I want to start with my extended family. And I want to be at work. Brother Danny, I do work at those places you mentioned a moment ago. And there's all kinds of craziness going on. There's guys cheating on their wives, and, and there's guys doing all kinds of stuff. And I know it's wrong, they know it's wrong, but nobody wants to say anything. The boss is cheating fudging the numbers, and I know it's wrong. He knows it's wrong, but nobody's saying anything. Would you say something? Stand Just stand up and say, it's wrong. Say, well, that that might cost me my job. God will get you another job. I believe that. God will take care of you. Just do the right thing. All you got to do, most profound thing I'm going to say all day, maybe my whole life, only thing you got to do is obey God. Yeah. Yeah. Obey God. Let's pray and then... We're going to pray over these guys. Praise the Lord. So, Stu, if you guys would make your way to the front, to the altar area here, you and your families. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, and part of the invitation is we receive new members to our church. We receive new believers to come, be a part of God's uh, forever family, and be a part of our family, church family. And we welcome you. We, we do. We're, we're thrilled that you're here today. And then a big part of our invitation today are, are these that are coming, that we as a, as a church family have an opportunity to pray over them and encourage them and commission them as they go out. So let's do this first. Let me, let me wrap this prayer up and just say, when you stand, if you need to come and pray at the altar or you need to come, just ask God for holy boldness ask God for courage, ask God for the wherewithal that you'll wave your hands in the air like nobody cares, or you'll pound on the keyboard and say, I'm going to take this by the throat. I'm going to do the right thing. God, would you help us to do that? Lord, I really believe I'm talking to a whole church full of people who really, we want to do the right thing, we we want to be like Nehemiah, but God, there are things that hold us back, and there are things where... We just need to turn over to you. And so we we want to do that now. I want to ask you to help us, God. Help us. Help us to, to say no where we need to say no. Say yes when we need to say yes. To say, hey, no, no, please don't do that when we need to do that. Or, Lord, help us to say, yes, yes, come on, do that. Do that when we need to say that. So, Lord, bless our church, bless our invitation. And I ask you would just, um, Holy Spirit, just have your way among us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet, and we'll sing. In just a moment, we'll have our commissioning time. So God bless you as you come.